We have watched that video about a dozen times getting ready for today, uh, and I think it's funnier every time. And I think part of the reason is because I know every one of those people, uh, and I've been most of them myself. You know, when Paul talked about this matter of tithing and giving, he did so very specifically to the Corinthian church, uh, and that was in his second letter uh, to them. And he did it. What gets my attention about that, or what I love about it, is he, is he spoke or wrote with such amazing uh, tactfulness. What he did is, in talking to them about giving, he cited this remarkable grace, this, this generosity of these sister churches uh, that were in Macedonia. Paul always seems just so comfortable talking about money. I'm not. Uh, it's, it's an awkward thing for me sometimes. And his words are so gentle. And they're just, just, he just puts things in such a beautiful way. Let's look at what uh, he said uh, together in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to look at verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. This grace that he's talking about um, is defined by the context. This, this grace, it's, it's talking about giving. I'm sounding really boomy up here. Is it just me? Um, I'm sorry. Um, I'm just distracting myself. When he talks about this giving, it's, it's this inclination of how God's grace has worked in and through their lives, where they just, just pour out themselves and their resources to God and to others through this act of worship called giving. God's grace has changed them at the core of who they are. And that's really what this section of Scripture is all about. It's about the grace of giving from the beginning to the end. And that's what this message is. In fact, it's all grace. It's just grace. The Greek word for grace occurs ten times in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. In fact, in, in just this first nine verses, you see it five times. Verse 1 says this. It speaks of the grace. The word privilege in verse 4 is actually the word grace. Verse 6 says this act of grace. Verse 7 says, so that you may excel in this grace of giving. Verse 9 says, for you know the grace. You know the grace. And I want you to take note of that because the whole thing rides on this issue, this matter, this idea that it's grace. That that's what it is. And you can see that this, this passage, the, the rhythm of it, the flow of New Testament giving is always wrapped up in the idea of grace. And this was a shift. This was a change in the way followers of God responded to him. I think it's just an extremely valuable passage, especially to the serious Christian. If you're just kind of messing around with Christianity and, you know, fading in and out or 
checking it out or experimenting with it or maybe just a little committed to it, uh, you, you maybe not get it as much. Uh, but if you're serious about your faith, uh, this is an example of what was being done uh, by these churches specifically in Macedonia, these New Testament churches. And I'm real keen on that, you know, because we always talk about, oh, we, we need a model, we need a pattern. And we look back at the New Testament church and we see the way that God uh, has organized the leadership and the foundation church. We think that is so beautiful. It's worked for 2,000 years. I don't know of another organization or corporation that's lasted that long uh, and has been this successful. Uh, we think, Lord, we want to do the things the way you kind of set up this, this rhythm to do things. So in the midst of that, I think their example that I can apply to my life, that we can apply to this life as a church, it's all about the grace of giving. So this message is not a sermon about the amount you ought to give or ways I have figured out during the week to try to manipulate your heart or to, to make you think about this or to, to load you down with guilt. I'm just going to pull the covers off grace and say, this is the way God does it. And this is what uh, Paul was talking about when he congratulated this specific church. So it, it is a sermon about grace, not so much giving from the beginning to the end. As we think about this whole matter of grace and giving, uh, it's grace that, that God has shown even in the Old Testament and then how he extended that into the New Testament. His grace and giving among these Macedonians. And then what are those applications for this Corinthian church? They were two different kind of places, not just geographically, uh, but their population. The, the, the people who lived in those and worshipped in those places were from two different backgrounds. But they all blend together. Now there's this general kind of a haziness, at least for me, ever since I have been a Christian, about how much people ought to give and how much did they give in the Old Testament. You know, we kind of use that as a reference point. And most people say, well, I think it was 10%. That's probably what it was because that, that figure's thrown out. And I think a tithe means 10%. And that that's sort of the basis for giving. And that's true. That, that, there, there's, that's what it is. If you're talking about starting place. Uh, because in, in the Old Testament, there were actually several different kinds of mandatory giving uh, that was required. Now check it out. This was compulsory there was no option for every person who considered themselves, you know, for himself or herself to, to be faithful to the covenant, to be a follower of God, to be in this. It was not optional. Now check it out. That, that's the whole thing about the law. It was mandatory. And you're used to that concept because it's applied everywhere else but the church, Right? I mean, if I go to work out and they say, oh, you're, you know, you need to pay your dues. And I go, oh, yeah, listen, what are those? You know, like, what is that? I'm just, I'm, here, I've got this much. Or if you go to a restaurant and they go, oh, your meal's 40 bucks. And you go, you know what? I got 12. I'm going to give you 12. And that's kind of what I can do today. And you do that. You know, we're so used to anywhere else. They're going to say, you're, you don't have a membership here anymore. You don't get to eat here. You want to pay what for your gasoline? That's not how this works. You pay whatever the pump says you pay. That's it. And we're, we kind of get that. An, a Jew living under the Old Testament law would be fine because that's the way they understood life to work. 
it was mandatory. That's kind of new to us, and we don't like that. You know, we, we feel like, ah, oh, you're getting my... That makes me feel really uncomfortable, and there's something in me, there's something in you that just kind of bows up when it comes to giving. You think, well, it's, it's giving, and I'm not going to haggle with the guy at the gas pump or at the restaurant or the mall, but I will when it, when it comes to, to this. And, and we, it's like, well, I don't even appreciate you talking about that. Well, let me tell you how this broke down for them, because this is kind of crazy. And maybe you're living under one assumption. When it's, I just want to tell you, this is so huge. First, there was the tithe. And this was called the Lord's tithe or the Levite's tithe. And uh, the reason it was called that was because it went specifically to support the priests and the ministry of the tabernacle and uh, the temple. And it's awkward for me to talk about this particular tithe because I'm a pastor, and that's basically where this money went to. You know, everybody always talks about, wow, so much of a budget always goes to personnel. Yeah, it kind of does. And it always has. It always has. All the way back to Leviticus 27. Check out the 30th verse. It says there's a stipulation of a tithe of everything from the land. And that is a tenth from everything, the grain, the fruit, whatever it was, uh, belongs to the Lord. Uh, and, you know, it was just, it was holy to the Lord, which it's agios, it's to be set apart, it's separated from 10% of their produce, 10% of the gross. You know, all of their animals, all of that, 10% is required. Again, keep in mind, this is not optional. They had to do this. Everybody grew up knowing that. In fact, it was, it was so ingrained in the culture that if someone did not comply, and they're, they're said to be living under this covenant, but they don't give, they were considered to be disobeying the law and robbing God. That's how big a deal it was elevated to that. We often hear, you know, whenever I talk about giving or think about it, you know, we look at the blessings that are associated with Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 10. And most of us are familiar with that, you know, and God says what he'll do. But we rarely hear the preface uh, to that in verse 8. Malachi is saying, he says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. God says, you're stealing from me. I caught you stealing. And the, and the Israelis said, God, how did we steal from We're not robbing. How did we rob from you? And this is what the Bible says in that verse. He said, God says, in tithes and offerings. He says, when you don't give, you're stealing my money. You're stealing my resources. If a person avoided this compulsory thing, they were considered to be robbing from God himself in that beginning 10%. Now you think, okay, uh, I get that, and I understand. And, you know, when I first became a believer and I was riding in a car with a friend of mine, and I didn't know about this thing of giving. It was a brand new concept to me, and... I had seen people do it, and I'd begun to visit churches, and I saw them pass the plate, and I thought, oh, cool, lunch money. <laughs> I thought, he said, no, that's not the way you're not supposed to do that. I go, oh, well, how does it work? He goes, you put something in. I go, whoa, no kidding? Yeah, he said, yeah, no kidding. I thought, okay, it's kind of like going to a concert. I thought, okay, I'll pay a ticket for a concert. I guess this was sort of the same thing, and I, I'll, I'll put some in each time to sort of pay for the deal. He says, no, that's really not either. And I asked him, I said, how much do you give? How do I know? Is it 10%? Because I've heard that. He goes, well, that's what they gave under the Old Testament law. He said they gave that in a compulsory way because they had to. He said, I figure I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm under grace. I should give whatever the Lord leads me. 
I said, so can you tell me? Is that like private, like your taxes or something? He goes, no. He said, I'll tell you, I've never gotten down to 10% because I think I'm under grace. I should be able to give more than somebody under law. We just rode in the car real quietly. I had to think about that. <laughs> what I didn't know, and maybe what he didn't even know at that time, is not only is there this 10% tithe, there's a second tithe. You may want to get up and just walk out right now before I tell you this. There is a second tithe. It's called the festival tithe. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 12 in verses 10 and 11. It specifies that when they get to the land, he says, when you cross over and you're in Jordan and you settle in the land, that the Lord your God, he's giving you this land. It's going to be your inheritance. I'm just going to give this to you. He said, I'm going to give you rest from all your enemies. Nobody's going to bother you anymore. You're going to live in safety. Uh, and then to this place that God will choose as a dwelling for his name's sake, you are to bring everything that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, that is, your tenth, that, that 10%, and then these special gifts, and all of the choice possessions that you have vowed to the Lord. Check, check, check. This festival tithe was to be used for religious celebrations. I was trying to think of what was equivalent to that. Maybe like if we have a Christmas musical. Uh, I was trying to think of New Testament, you know, something that we kind of get. A chili supper, I don't know. Maybe that's not so religious. But uh, those kind of events, it said, well, we got to fund that somehow. we got to pay for these things. We, you know, as we do this kind of worship and we, we want to put all this together. He said, okay, that's what that, that goes for. Uh, so pull your family together, pull your friends together. And you have this compulsory you have two 10% tithes, tithes, I can't say that word, that are, that are not optional. You're up to 20%, okay? Are you getting nervous? Yeah, you may just want to write that just like on your handout and just start keeping a, a tally uh, as we go forward because, you're not going to believe this, are you ready? There was yet another tithe. It's called the poor tithe, which is described in Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29. He says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your town so that the Levites, and those were the pastors, the spiritual leaders, and the elders in the town. And I think of this as sort of like our, our food pantry, our clothes closet, or the funds that we set aside for benevolence. And, and we try to make sure that gets to the right places. There's a team of people here that, that help us to do that and work on that. He says, store these things up so that... Um, the people who don't have anything, uh, the version I have calls them aliens. I'm trying to see what the version that we've got up here the, 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 uh, it says. But it says those who are kind of not from around here and they, they don't have that. The widows, the orphans, so that everybody in the town would at least have something to eat. And they'll be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you because of the work of your hands. He said, you do this uh, and God's going to bless you for, for doing this. So what he's saying, what, where, where this comes, is that every three years there's a 10% tithe for helping people who are in poverty, which breaks down to about, let's say, 3% a year on average. That means, check it out, we're still in that, that zone of you got to do this, okay? These mandatory tithes for a faithful Israelite was about 23% of their income annually. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, go back to that 10%. I, I love it when you preach just on the tithe. <laughs> you know, that's a little more comfortable. than you're up to 23%. Mm -hmm. And I'm not done yet. 
Uh, now, this is for the priesthood, the tithe for the national religious festivals, and a tithe that aided the poor. All of that compulsory. You got to do that. Just like your federal taxes, we don't have a state income tax, but you're, you're, you pay tax when you buy an item, you pay, uh, you know, property tax. I mean, we're, we're used to those things, right? And we just know that's just the deal. That's the way this works. That's the way the tithe worked. And an Old Testament um, God follower would understand that. But it didn't end there. There was a mandatory type of profit in sharing with the poor. In Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, he said, don't reap all the way out to the edges. Don't fit, when you harvest it, don't, don't get everything out of the field. He says, leave some. When you go over your vineyard, don't do it a second time. Just go through it one time, leave what was there. Don't pick up the grapes that you dropped, you know. And he says, leave those for poor people who are kind of walking through. I am the Lord your God. So he just puts that in. I can hear my mother going, I am your mama. You know, it's just like that, that seal of authority at the end. Like, you do this, here's why you do this. Because I am your God. That's why. So he, tell, he says that. And he says, I want you to give that. Now, that's not a large amount. I think it, and this is in my mind the way I've worked this out, it would end up being probably 1% or 2% of the harvest. You just left it out there. You know, you've got 100 pumpkins or cabbages or tomatoes or whatever, and you think, leave some. Dad, there's, there's five tomatoes. Just leave those. There's a couple of cabbage. Leave those. There's a big old watermelon. Just leave that out there. Just leave, son, just leave that, and let's go back. That, we're going to leave that. People travel through, and they come out, and they see this field. They'll know there's something there uh, to be gleaned. So you think that's how much uh, is required uh, to give and to leave. Now, there are also some other uh, requirements. For example, there's a third of the shekel temple charge required to pay for the materials of temple worship and all of that kind of thing. Uh, that was re required. That was just a part of the thing. So all in all, are you doing the math on this? Are you keeping up? All in all, a faithful Israelite was required to give between 23 and 25% of their income every year. That's one-fourth. It's a quarter out of every shekel, <laughs> dollar. Uh, and there are no options. That was all mandatory. That was like, okay. Then, then there came the volunteer free will givings. This was called grace giving. And it included what was called first fruits giving or free will offerings. Now, an Israelite who loved the Lord uh, was serious about his faith, in addition to this 23, 25%, they would give what they called the first fruits of crops to God. And here's the beautiful thing about this. The thing I love about this is that the Israelites did it before they harvested the crops. They didn't bring everything in and then cut this much off. They would go out and they would look at their fields and look at their pastures and they'd go, you know what, I'm just looking over this. And it looks like everything did really well right here. This is the best portion this is the, the healthiest, prettiest crops I have. This is what we're going to give to the Lord. There's a lady in our church who's just so sweet, and every year she, uh, she grows some vegetables around her house, and she always brings me the very first one of each one. And I tell her, don't do that. Why would you do that? She goes, no, first fruits. I go, I don't know. Should I take it down to cafe and, you know, and say, here, d d put this in with the meal? No, I, I eat it. Um, <laughs> 
I'll be judged one day, perhaps, for that. But she says, I just want to give you, you're, the, you're my pastor, I want to give you the first fruits. So she'll hand me a tomato or squash or a cucumber. And I think that is so beautiful and such a reflection of what they were doing. That is exactly what they were doing uh, in, this, in this passage. So they survey the field and they give this uh, and then they multiply that. They called it faith giving. It reminds me a lot of our faith promise giving, that we give that. It's not compulsory. We don't make you do it. We just say, hey, would you promise to do this? Would you give this out of your overflow? If God blesses you, would you bless people around the world? Um, you know, make it a part of just the, the way you live your life. And then if you get unexpected gifts, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget people who, you know, these boxes represent a lot of impoverished people. Let's don't forget about them. Let's share that. Uh, let's spread that love around a little bit. It's just, I just think it's just this utterly beautiful, it's just this lovely, just joyous, and it's because it's so, it's totally of the heart. All the giving you see in the New Testament is out of the heart. It's not out of the ledger book, it's not from Quicken, it's not out of their heads thinking, you know, sitting down with their tax guy going, well, what's the least I can do and still, no, it's just out of their heart. So that's how they gave. Oh, but finally... Am I just wearing you out? This is killing me. But finally, there was what was called a free will offering. And these were given towards special projects uh, in the building of the tabernacle. If something in the temple you know, was in disrepair, it got broken, or it just wore out, or they wanted to expand, then there were these special offerings that people would give on top of that. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offerings for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. See, all the way back in Moses, God said, if, your heart, if, if, I, if I speak to your heart about this, you need to be obedient and just give. If I speak to your heart, it's, just for, it's up to you. There's no law about that. You know, one of the reasons we sound so good today is because we got new subs up here. We've been saving for several months because some of you, uh, God put that on your heart and you said, Wow, we you know we know you need this, and it's, it's affecting our worship and our sound. And so we gave, and, and Kevin saved up, and he got the best deal, and we installed them. And even this morning, during Bible study, we're tweaking it back there, and we're trying to get it just right so it'll sound good today. That's a little bit about what that offering was about. It's kind of to, 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 to free that up. Again, not mandatory. Uh, it's over and above the 23 to 25%. So the ideal in the, in the Old Testament was grace giving, even in Old Testament. Whether it was mandatory, whether it was voluntary, uh, it, was, it came out of the heart. And that's what it was meant to do. It was meant to be offered to God with this joy, with, with no reluctance. Now you can imagine an Israelite in the Old Testament, if he's committed already 23, 25%, you take that 23%, you add another 5%, uh, you're at 27%. And so now, some of these people with these special gifts, they're giving a normal year, nothing special, they're giving 30 to 40% of their income year in and year out back to the Lord. 30 to 40%. And that's normal. How's that 10 sounding to you? God's grace in giving was reflected in this New Testament Macedonian church. They're in the age of grace. We're in the age of grace. And Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians, because 
We don't know if they were kind of stingy, but they weren't real generous either. You know, they weren't really giving. So he just, just real subtly mentions, hey, did you see what these guys down the road are doing in the Macedonian church? Wow. And that motivated the Corinthians. In verse 1 and 2, going back to that, he said, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Out of the most severe trial, out of this affliction, this time of testing, they're, they're, they're under it. There's this abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. It overflowed in a wealth, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Is they were just so generous uh, on their part. Um, and I love this because the, the Macedonians were so poor. In fact, the word that's used for poor here is a real interesting word in the original language. It means deep. I'm trying to think of that, the thing that submerges under the ocean uh, that goes down real far. Is that called a bathysphere? Those of you are like oceany people, do you know about that? It's that, the thing that can go around really, really deep, you know. Uh, uh, but this word is bathos, and that's where we get that from. And it means deep poverty. It means going all the way down to the bottom. Now, I've slept in places several times in several, you know, locations that just had dirt floors. And that's what this is talking about. It's getting all the way down as far as you can go. My mom used to say, those folks were dirt poor. See, I thought we were poor, you know, and we would help these other people out, and she'd take pies and stuff over to them, and, and I thought, well, are you giving away our food? How can you, you know, we're poor. And she goes, no, they're dirt poor. I remember fishing with my granddad and hunt, hunting with him, and they would hunt like real things, and they would give us these little like four tens, and we would shoot squirrels. And I, I can remember this. I remember holding those squirrels up and saying, Hey, Grand, Grandpa, look, I got these squirrels, and I shot these, and we're going to dress these out. He goes, no, son, that's poor people food. I thought, oh, okay. We were so high. We were so, we didn't eat squirrel. <laughs> we were just above that sort of thing. We didn't eat possum. They were nasty. We didn't eat those. We, we, we were kind of uppity. There are certain fish. We'd catch these bottom fish, and they were just... And, and I can remember my grandpa, who was a commercial fisherman, he would give those away. He would sell these, and he would give those away uh, to people who would come up to where he was selling them out of the back of his truck because that was poor people food. Those were Macedonians. That were these kind of folks. He said, they're dirt poor. They're at the bottom. Now, most of us, come on, most of us who are modern suburbanites, it's a stretch to think about what dirt poor really means especially in an ancient culture. I mean, they were the poorest of the poor way back when even poor people didn't have something invented for them uh, to use. When it came to credit cards, the Macedonians always left them at home. Uh, they always went without them. They didn't have any cards. They didn't have wardrobes. They didn't have vacations. They didn't even have TV. Our prisoners and our poor people have television. They didn't have that. I can't describe how it would be to, to, to be this far down. They were the poorest of the poor. And somehow they were also under this severe trial. So they're dead broke and they're living in this culture. They have become followers of Christ. The people around them don't like that. So they bully them. They pick on them. There's always this pressure, this grinding poverty 
And now this crushing uh, persecution. And it's just making life impossible. Can you imagine how frustrating and discouraging and defeating that would be? But Paul says, out of that impossible situation, these impossible people did the most impossible thing. In verse 2, he said this, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty crashed, welled up together to produce rich generosity. You may be thinking what I'm thinking, uh, and that's just that this is an incredible statement. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty bump up against each other, and out of that comes generosity. They just give. This poorest of the poor people in this parched existence, in these squalid, these little churches that don't have anything, but they just gush forth with the joy of giving. That, friends, is the grace of God. The only thing you can say about that, the only thing you can, the way you can explain that is to say, okay, I'm starting to get grace. I'm starting to understand it. Paul expands on that in the next couple of verses in verse 3 and 4. He says, I just want to testify. I just want to tell you guys what's going on with them. They gave as much as they were able to, and then somehow they gave even beyond their ability. He says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. They're begging us for the privilege of sharing in this service, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Well, we want to give. Let us give. You know, you just kind of want to skip over them and say, hey, you guys, you're okay. We're going to take one offering. You just kind of sit here and we'll be done. They go, no, 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 no. Oh, no, we brought something. We got something. No, you don't really, you don't. No, we want to. Please let us give too. Please don't leave us out. We don't want to be just the ones getting out. Come on. We, we, we took up a collection. We've got, it's not much, but we've got something. A couple of weeks ago at the, um, at CARM, we were, you know, some folks from here were doing a worship service. We were there last Sunday night as a church. And by the way, we saw a young man pray to receive Christ. We saw several other decisions. I loved watching you pray over and minister to people. God bless you. That was so good. Our band and Glenn, you guys just did awesome. Uh, and just presenting truth and love to people. Uh, the week before that, uh, they were shown a picture of this little baby in Haiti who's just been burned real badly. We just pray for him all the time and call him Burn Baby. They took up a collection of over $200. And last Sunday night, we had the joy of saying, hey, this is what's happening in that situation. And they all started clapping. You were there, right? Some of you were there, and they started clapping. And this lady came up and said, i just been wondering about that little baby, and I just want, you know, and, and, and we gave to that little baby. And she was, I thought, oh, my goodness. You're living in a homeless shelter. But they gave. Don't you love that? That was Macedonia. They were giving literally contrary to their ability to be able to give. One ancient preacher in the Greek church marveled. He, he talked about this, and he said with ama- amazement, they did the begging, not Paul. Instead of Paul going around and saying, okay, you see a number because everybody's got televisions. You see the number on the bottom of your TV. Call that. You can give something. I saw one of these TV evangelists saying, I picture this little lady, and she's going to buy her groceries. You need to send that grocery money. And I thought, seriously? You're telling, you're telling some little old lady out there to send her grocery money to you? And you're so rich. It just, 
Anyway, uh, what he's doing is he's turned this around completely, and he's saying, we didn't ask them. They were begging us. They're coming up to Paul going, excuse me, Paul, excuse me, you got a minute? Can we just, can we give? No, really, you guys just take care of, you know, you, you're just, you're having such a hard time. I know, but we really, we want to give. If that's okay, we'd like, please let us give. And they're begging to do this because of the, the grace that that's, it, it, they considered it an honor to be a part of that. Now, what's the root? Where do, where do you get that kind of action? Well, we've mentioned grace, but I think the answer is real explicit in verse 5. It says, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves, here it is, first to the Lord and then to us. First to the Lord, and then by the will of the Lord, they gave themselves to us. The grace of God had come not only, I think we're all used to the fact that grace came on my life, What's happened is that grace came into their lives, and now it's coming out of their lives. You see, it doesn't just grace cover us. Grace leaks down into our souls and our personalities and who we are, even to our pocketbooks and our wallets. We become people of grace. It's not dictated by ability anymore. It has nothing to do with being well-off or not being well-off. It's giving that's viewed as a privilege. They're enthusiastic about it. The grace of God has come into their lives, and now they care. When you're looking at something like that, something that's so awesome, I think, well, God, what is the lesson for me that these people do that? And I think it's this. It won't do you any good to give your possessions unless you have first given yourself to the Lord. If you're giving and you don't care anything about God, you don't care anything about this church or this ministry, you're throwing your money away. You're just wasting your money. Now, I'll just tell you that, okay? I've had people, as a pastor, I've had people say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I'm gonna, I've, had, I've had somebody sit down with me and say, if you don't do things this way, then, then I'm, I'm not going to give. And I go, well, that's between you and God. I can't take, well, and I tell you what, there's other people who feel this way and they're going to follow me. And of course, some of you know me think, mm, you know, and I just kind of bow up and said, you know what? You probably need to keep your money in your pocket. I don't want to be a part of that. Don't, don't bully God or the church. God's not going to bless that. And he wouldn't bless me if I took part in that. Thank you, but just don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. When you give without giving yourself to God uh, and out of some other motivation... Uh, some, some pretty, pretty unpleasant things began to surface. External giving, without God involved in it, you know what, that just builds religious pride. That's all that does. Giving things instead of ourselves can easily become your religion. You can be, become, you define yourself like the guy in the video, you, you, you know, uh, that's, and you never turn to Christ. So uh, it needs to be said that if, if you've not given your life to Christ, please don't give your money. Uh, God doesn't need your money. Uh, he needs you. He wants, he wants you. 
And that's what this story is about. Now, these implications were for these Corinthians that he's trying to motivate. And I think it's for us, too. It says, so we urge Titus, since he had uh, earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. For just as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul said, don't skip that. He said, you're doing all these other things. You're volunteering. Don't forget to give. That's a big part of this. He wants them to come to maturity. He wants them to be complete. He says, I see these gifts all over the place, and I see all these things. Don't forget about giving. There is no way, there is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. Let me say that again. There is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. You can play the games, you can trick yourself, you can do all that, uh, but Jesus can have our money and not our hearts, but he can't have our hearts and not our money. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And this principle can cause some of us to reach these uh, really uncomfortable places in our spiritual growth, these sinking places because we just don't want to give, and it's difficult for us to be released to give uh, the way our consciences are directing. Yes, I quoted myself because I wanted to make sure I, I thought it was pretty good. I worked on it during the game, and I kept saying it out loud to Kathy, and she'd say, shh. Now you know. It's good. <laughs> you know, Paul is, uh, you know, I want you to see his attitude in verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you. He says, I'm not standing up here as your pastor. I'm not just telling you to do that. I just want to test the sincerity of your heart. Are you real? Are you serious about loving Jesus? Are you just messing around? Is, is this important to you? He says, let me show you what this, uh, these other people are doing. These Macedonians, dirt poor, they don't have televisions. They don't have all the things you guys have. He said, look what they're doing. They just get. So here's my advice. This is what Paul was saying. I'm not commanding you. I'm just telling you. There's no figure that you ought to give. It doesn't say you ought to give 5% or 4% or 10% or 15% or 20%. You know, the, the great requirement put on God's covenant people under the Oak covenant would have been 10%. I still think, I think that's a good place to start. It's not a law, but uh, you know what they were doing? You remember when I told you, here's the 10%, here's the other 10, here's 23, and it goes up and it ends up like being like 30? What they were doing with that, an in, in average Christian in today's church gives about 3%. So not 30, 10 times less. If we just got up to 10 Everything that I talked about earlier that needed to be covered, we could cover. It's brilliant. Christians control about a half to two-thirds of the money in America. And they're hoarding it, and it's locked up, and the church is crippled. There will come a day, I said this during the missions conference, and I'll say it again, there will come a day when the Christians of Africa and the Christians of China will send missionaries to the U.S. 
to reach this country because our hearts are showing where our treasure really is. Paul says, it's just, I'm just telling you, I think you ought to give. I think 10% is a good place to start. New Testament doesn't say it. It's a good beginning place. For some, it's going to be a challenge for you to say, okay, you know what? I'd like to give four. I'm going to bump my three up. I'm going to bump my zero up to 4%. It's going to be hard. I don't know how we're going to do that. 6% is massive. I I don't know, but I'm going to do that. Okay, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not, I don't... The Bible doesn't say, I'm not going to say, I'm just saying, I think 10 is a pretty good place. But you need to, you know, if you're giving regularly to the Lord, that, the, the priority is not on the amount. It's with that rhythm of your life. It's with that worship of being able to give and what it does to empower you and what it does to empower uh, the local church. The other thing about this, I think, and I just sort of mentioned it, is that it was regular. It was a part of their lifestyle. Uh, He said, now, in in chapter 16, verse 1, he said, Now, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. He mentions this other pocket of churches. He said, do what they do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In other words, what he's saying is, I want you to give regularly. Just the rhythm of your life is to give. And he says, on Sunday... So it's so appropriate. It's so biblical even that we do that here. They did it weekly. You may do it monthly. They may have given in specific ways. Uh, We have so many options. Do you know the way that we've set up that you could give real easily? Online giving. You go to our website and check it out. It is so easy. And you can do it where there's just a draft taken out so you don't have to think about it. You just make this decision. You decide the percentage. You write, you know, you take your salary Divide it by 52 or by 12, uh, you know, and, and break that down, 10% of that, divide it by 23. Okay, there's the number. Just plug that in, boom, it'll do it. Or you can do it yourself. Nobody sees it but you. It's so easy. We make it easy. We provide brass plates. We pass right by. Just so convenient for you to... It is to put it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's there, but it becomes a rhythm. It becomes something that you do as a normal part of your worship. Just like singing and preaching and teaching and listening and praying and all those other things. Um, it, it becomes a part of, of that rhythm. You know, I think Malachi 3.10 is maybe one of the most abused texts in scriptures, you know, but the principle is true that God generally prospers people who give. I just think that's generally true. Now, I had a guy to ask me, he said, Pastor, are you saying, kind of like that investment giver, he said, if I give and I get back, he said, why wouldn't I just give everything? And he doubles that. And he said, is it, is it material? I said, well, it may be spiritual blessings. He goes, oh. <laughs> I said, what? He said, oh, I want the money. You know? I said, which do you want, spiritual blessings or, or financial blessings? Do I have to answer now? I don't know. You know, oh, I get it. I get it. Proverbs 11, 24, 25 says, one man, get, one man gives freely, yet another gives more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. Poverty. A, a generous man's just going to prosper. That, that's just going to work. Which would you rather have, a spiritual blessing or a bigger bank account? <clears throat> that's a tough question, isn't it? That's tough. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It's going to be poured into your lap. He's with the measure that you give, that's what's going to be used to measure how much I give back to you. It's all scripture. It's just scripture. It's just scripture. He said, we didn't force the Macedonians to do this. We didn't use any gimmicks. We didn't pound the pulpit. We didn't use fear tactics. We, we didn't do any of this. We didn't put on some show. Uh, it's just the giving. It's just from the grace of the Lord. They just want to give out of grace. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, because we, we, we kind of talked about this a lot as a staff, of how do we make this practical? How do we make this real? You may have noticed we haven't taken an offering yet. <laughs> uh, we, we moved it to the end. I want you to give every nickel you've got in your pocket right now. I'm just kidding. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I want to go to cookout. Okay, keep $4. You can get a lot to eat for 4 bucks. okay? Um, and they're Christians. Now, here's what we thought. We would move the offering today to the very end of the service. And what we're going to do is ask that uh, we're going to have a kind of a time of invitation for you to just to meditate and to pray about this and to think about it. And here's the things we're thinking about that we want to do, we want you to do. You know how we do faith promise and we just think, God, I just... I need you to tell me what you want me to give, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and promise you that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to begin to do that on a regular way. We thought, that's so beautiful. That seems to be what they were doing. Why don't we give you the opportunity to do that right now? So we're going to ask you to do this, to think through, pray through, God, what is it you want us to give? What do you want me to give? And in 2012, that's what I'm going to give. I'm going to break it down. I'm going to do the math. 10% divided by 52 or 10% divided by 12. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's the amount. God, I'm going to give this. That's, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to test you. Do it for three months. Do it for six months. I've made this guarantee ever since I've been pastor here. The very first month that I became pastor, I said this. If you give to the Lord out of a sincere heart and then you regret it three months later, we'll give you your money back. Now, the finance committee said, don't say that anymore. Please don't keep telling people that. I said, well, God, this is either real or it's not. I said, I have never regretted it. I've been giving to the Lord for a long, long time. I said, he blesses me way more than I could ever. I said, I've never regretted it. I don't think I could ever go back to being selfish and keeping it for myself. I, I, I want everybody to know I have so much confidence in that. Uh, we'll just throw that out there. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. Next week, would you tithe? You may not be prepared today. I know a lot of people don't carry checks anymore. Just toss your credit card in the plate. We will take out. I actually I said, what if we just did that and said, we'll bring them back next week. We'll give it back to you. We will pray through and think what is appropriate, and we'll just go ahead and <laughs> charge that. Uh, then we just sat for a moment and thought about how that, no. But, um, so we know you're not ready, maybe so much today, but how about next week? Would you take a week? And next week, say, you know what? I'm going to bring a tithe. I'm just going to do it. And next week, we're going to take up the offering and, uh, and just see what, what God... You figure it any way you want to figure. There's no law. You know, there's, there's no way to... check. It's just... It's up to you. Just divide it by 10. Come up with the number. And next week, would you just give that? Think about the online giving. Maybe you want to do it that way. That's the way we've switched to. We kind of like it. Next Sunday, we give the first. We give the best offering to the Lord. 
And I, I just I love the, the, the gentleness and I hope the sweetness of how the Apostle Paul used that example to motivate people would motivate us as well. It's funny, two days ago I saw a tweet from Andy Stanley and I thought this was so, so good. I wanted to throw it out to you. Check this out. Um, in a minute. First, let me think about it. He said this, Hey, church people, how many dollars does God have to put in your hands before his church gets one of them? Let's pray. We're going to have a moment of invitation, and then um, we just, we'll just continue to worship and we'll give. Father, thank you for uh, today and for your grace and your love. You have overwhelmed us with how generous you've been. I've been so broke so many times, um, particularly... And Father, I want our students to hear this. I want college students and middle school students. I'm not after the money that they get from mowing yards or babysitting from some of these high schoolers. I don't want that. But I think you want them to begin to build into their life uh, this, uh, this act of worship, this grace where they give. I don't want them to wait till they're 30 or they're 40. Or they'll never start doing it if they wait till they think they can. All of us in this room, Lord, are accountable to you and to you alone. So we ask that you would speak to our hearts now. We're going to take a moment to think through where we are, particularly this one discipline, this one worship, this grace of giving. Would you stand with me, please? Let's just pray through this together.